I'm Raven Rollins, and this is my Southern True Crime podcast where I discuss cases from my former hometown. Ada, Oklahoma paints itself as an average community, but its history of murder and corruption runs deeper than any story has ever told. You'll hear plenty of special guests, including authors and experts in their fields, who visit with me on each episode, as well as other cases in the southern states. With notorious and unknown cases alike, every victim sees the light on my show. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your curious cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 30. Hi. Welcome. Yay. Jess, if someone were to binge listen to us, it would take them a whole month to get through. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. If they did it once a day. Right. Right. Once a day. Once a day. Yeah. One episode a day. Yeah. Pretty cool. I know. I can't believe it. (laughs) We're moving along. Woo. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Good. Um, good. I had had some health stuff going on earlier, and I was able to go to the doctor yesterday, and everything looked good. Um, they did some lab work, and we're waiting on that, but um, that was a big relief. So We're having faith Yes, everything will turn out yes. good. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. How are you? I am good. Nothing too exciting. I am on. a little frustrated. Oh. Because our audio keeps acting. I out. know. <laughs> we shall see how this turns out. <laughs> yeah, I uh, bear with us. <laughs> so bear with us as we are going through some growing pains right now and just trying to figure out how to bring the story to you in the best possible way. Yeah, to your ears. Yeah, <laughs> and appeasing to your ears. And next week. We will have a special guest. Yeah, we will be have your. We will be have. We will have your niece and yeah. my cousin Ava. Yay! I did get permission from her parents. Just throw that out there, there but she's yes. very excited. So I'm excited to have her on. She is too. She's she's very excited. So. <laughs> this will be fun. It'll be fun for yes. sure. And your oldest had a birthday he this did. week. I have an eight year old now. Can't believe it. I can't either. But I just missed that little squishy face. I know. Well, and our cousin Miranda's oldest, he had a birthday two days he before. Did. So they, happy birthday. They are exactly one year and two days apart. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So. so. Yeah. Um, are you ready for me to tell you a story? I am. I am. I am. Okay. I actually am doing a listener request. Okay. Um, this was requested by listener Brandy McGinley or McGenley. I think it's Genley. Okay. If I say it wrong, Brandy, I really apologize. And please correct me because I don't want to be doing you wrong. (laughs) All right. And we are covering the mysterious Jameson family deaths or disappearances. Ooh. I have heard of this case. It was a very hot case Um, a few years ago, almost 10 years ago. There's been a couple of podcasts that that I've listened to that have covered it. So I'm excited to hear your take on it. Okay. Yeah. Um. It's one of those rabbit holes that Tiff falls into, (laughs) and she really fell hard into it. Um, When I talk about my sources, just get ready. Tulsa World, Daily Oklahoman, of course, of Uh course. TrueCrimeZone.com, Keep the Secret Alive blog, Fox 25 News in Oklahoma City. A documentary by Danielle Hallen. She has a show on YouTube called uh, True Crime Docs. Oh. And then Investigation Discovery disappeared show. Mm-hmm. They had an episode called Paradise Lost. and Interesting. Okay. So many other websites. Like, of course, I like fact-checked some Wikipedia stuff and went back and forth. Right. But, whew, it's a doozy. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get cracking. Yeah. Let's start with some background information. Just, okay. Just to set the scene. The mood? Yes. So three members of the Jameson family are Bobby Dean Jameson, born August 4th, 1965, Sherilyn Jameson, born November 5th, 1968, and Madison Jameson, born August 1st, 2003. 
the family members were last seen alive October 8th, 2009. The family was considering purchasing a 40-acre plot of land near Red Oak, Oklahoma, which is approximately 30 miles southeast of Eufaula, where they lived. I was like, I've never heard of it. I hadn't either. Their remains were found November 13th, and I positively identified July 3rd, 2014, with no cause of death determined. That is such a span of time. Right. Or it seems like. And we'll get into it. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. Uh, Circumstances around the disappearance and the death are still unknown. Mm. The family truck was found abandoned near Kenta, Oklahoma, which is roughly halfway between that Eufaula and Red Oak area. Mm -hmm. The bodies were not found with the truck, but their family dog, Maisie, was. Mm. A home security system recorded the family packing for the day to go out to the mountain. And a family of hunters discovered the skeletal remains in 2013, less than three miles from where the truck had been discovered abandoned. Interesting. Yes. So let's do a little background. Okay. Bobby and Sherilyn were in the Eufaula area. Mm-hmm. They had lived there. Um, in 2002, Bobby and Sherilyn, they met that summer and they fell madly quickly in love. Ah, insta-love, huh? Yes. They married less than two years later and then Madison was pretty was born pretty quickly after that. Okay. Sherilyn was bringing a son from a previous marriage to the new marriage. I'm not going to say his name out of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still alive. It right. is out there, but just out of respect. Right. Um, these are some things that he's having to live with, and we'll just stay away from him. Yeah, that sounds good. In 2003, Bobby was in a very serious car accident that severely injured his back. He was in constant pain, needed pain meds a lot, um, just to manage just those everyday tasks mm-hmm. that we all take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was stated that he had lost his career, and I'm not sure if it's because he would, had to leave it mm-hmm. or, you know, if he was let go. Did they say what his career was? They never did say what his career was. I wonder either. if it was like, you know, like hard, not hard labor, but, you know, more manual kind of oh, labor type yeah, stuff possibly. that maybe his back would possibly. hurt um, more. Yeah, possibly, definitely. But it was stated throughout that this family seemed to be – I don't, I don't know if I'd call them affluent, but they had several timeshares across mm-hmm. the country that they visited a lot. They had a lake house because they lived on Lake Eufaula, and they tended to drive newer vehicles. So, Interesting. You know, if his career afforded him that, then uh-huh. um, he must have been doing something pretty lucrative. Yeah. This, I guess, kind of casualty was the first rough trial that the family kind of goes through. Okay. And I believe, like, in my research and from what I kind of heard and saw, this is where the family's financial troubles really kind of start. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but it makes sense because a loss of a career is huge, means, especially right. if you were the breadwinner. Well, was um, – what did you say her name was? Sherilyn. Um, you might get into this. Did she work? Yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to oh, get okay. into that, yeah. Um, well, because I was just I was right just, now, actually, because well, I was just thinking, you know, if if they depended on his income. Yeah. You know, that would be a big hit. Well, she was also she was a licensed beautician. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for her, she suffered from bouts of mental illness. OK. Um, crisis. And this may have prevented her from having like um, consistent work, okay. you know, like yeah. a clientele list job. and stuff yeah. that was consistently getting services mm-hmm. from her. In 2007, the second major trial for the family was really going to kind of hit them when Sherilyn, her sister, suddenly, freakishly dies from a bee sting on her tongue. On her tongue? Right. And it didn't really go into specifics on how a bee stung her on the tongue. But, you know, about it, you know, about a year or two ago, I got stung on the finger because I was like lifting a can Uh of that Alani. energy drink lifting it up well there was a bee on it and I didn't see it and when I put my hand on it it stung my finger so in my mind I was like well very easily she could have had like a can of soda or something like that went to take a drink and it could have been it could have been in the cup it could have been on the lid could have been on the rim of it Uh so it was very very freak and Sherilyn and her sister were extremely close and this really plunged her into a deep, deep, dark depression. Mm. 
and she was known to suffer from depression on and off. She was also unfortunately known to kind of get off of her medication whenever she felt like she was feeling okay. And so, and I know that a lot of psychiatrists and uh, mental health professionals will tell you that even in your times of good, you probably should stay on your medication just to help you stay even. Well, yeah, I'm sure that you're on them for a reason to help stabilize you. Yes. And a lot of Sherilyn's family said that after her sister passed away, she just was not the same person ever again. I can't imagine because, you know, that would be hard. Right, right. Um, and at the same time that this is all going on, Bobby's parents, Bobby Sr. and Starlet Jim, Starlet, I know. I like to say Starlet. <laughs> Starlet Jameson, they get a divorce after 40 years of marriage. Wow. And of course, it's going to be nasty. Yeah. It was claimed that Bobby Sr. was getting himself into some really unsavory issues. Mm. Some of the family members, like various family members, got victim protection orders or VPOs against him. Oh, wow. In 2008, Bobby Sr. allegedly makes a death threat, his first death threat towards Bobby Jr. and the whole family. So father makes death threat to son. Yes. Yes. Okay. Plot twist. So in 2009... Prior to be disappearing, the family started to act very strangely. Sherilyn mm-hmm. had forced a family friend that was staying with them uh-huh. to leave their house. He was living with them. She forced him out of their house to leave their house at gunpoint. And he states he has no idea why. Oh, wow. Interesting. His name um, is Kenneth Bellows. In May of 2009... Bobby files a lawsuit against his parents, Bobby Sr. and Starlet Jameson, for not giving him his half of interest in a gas station that they had owned in Oklahoma City. Bobby Jr. claims he worked there for free, being told that he would get half of the interest whenever they sold the gas station. So he claimed that he was owed $10,000. And this time he filed a restraining order against his father who Bobby claims his father tried to run him over in a truck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's also uh, alleged that Bobby Sr. made these threatening and threatened death, threatening comments and death towards Sherilyn and Madison. So not only was he threatening his son, he was threatening his daughter-in-law and and granddaughter. granddaughter. And the granddaughter was how old at this time? Uh, She was probably close to six, five or six at this time. Good gravy. Um, the VPO, though, was strangely denied. Okay. Interesting. Um, Starlet, at this time, has two surveillance cameras installed at Bobby Jr.'s house due to the threats that Bobby Sr. was making. Uh-huh. And so just to catch if he was trying to mess with them or whatever. Right. Well, that was probably a good idea anyway. Oh, absolutely. In July of 2009, Sherilyn files a suit against her ex-husband. Remember I said that she had been married previously. She brought a son. He was four months behind on child support. This is probably rough trial number four or five at this point because it completely backfired in her face. Oh, gosh. Okay. At that time, an emergency custody order gave the son Uh to his father, a.k.a. her Uh ex-husband. Uh-huh. The son claimed that Sherilyn had been acting odd and he wanted to live with his father. So it's alleged and assumed that he obviously was of age of 12 or above because right. I know like 12-year-olds are usually given the option to right. pick they what parent. Right, they can pick which parent. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, the courts awarded the ex-husband the son. So now Sherilyn has to pay child support. You weren't kidding. That did backfire. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, she does attempt to take her own life. Oh, my goodness. Fortunately, it was unsuccessful, and she was found and rushed to the hospital, and she survived. She got some help. In August of 2009, uh, Madison starts school as a kindergartner at Eufaula Public Schools. In between August and September, some time period during then, an accident happens on the playground. And as an educator... Mm -hmm. Playgrounds are the best place at school to be. Yeah. They can also also cause <laughs> accidents. Right. Children being children. It was not specified what exactly happened with between the kids or uh-huh. what happened to Madison, but 
something happened where her two front teeth were knocked out. Well, and there's no telling. Oh, I mean, no. on the playground, there is no telling. Oh, my telling. gosh. There's only 8,000 different ways she could have done it. Right. I mean, I'm just thinking of all the times I was on a playground. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Sherilyn and Bobby become extremely upset about this. Okay. And they immediately remove Madison from the school with the thought that they're going to homeschool her. They also had threats of suing the school district, but nothing ever came out of it. <laughs> I don't know if they went missing before that happened or if they just unfortunately like didn't have a leg to stand on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this is the time frame that the family and friends of the Jamesons, like they say that the Jamesons at this point decide that they're just going to uproot their entire life and go live off the grid. Oh, they really wanted to live in this area of the Paloma Mountains in southeastern Oklahoma. And I have never been there before. Um, so, but it seems like it's a pretty place mm-hmm. and it's very rugged and, you know, very. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. I hadn't either. So, in October, on October 2nd, 2009, Bobby go, goes and visits their pastor at the church that they attend. Okay. He is claiming that the house that they're living in is haunted by spirits. And so he was seeking out some guidance. You didn't say this was going to be a supernatural episode, <laughs> I too. I know, it's a twofer. <laughs> Sherilyn agrees, and they both kind of collaborate each other's story, claiming that the house has spirits in it, but the spirits don't bother Sherilyn or even Madison. It's Bobby who's bothered by them. In fact, Bobby tells the pastor that Sherilyn and Madison will speak to the spirits and that Madison has essentially befriended the spirit children. Children? They don't ever specify how many spirits are there. I couldn't find that. Uh, the two the two ladies of the house claim that they were just angels. So, but now, okay, I'm not, I'm just kind of trying to play devil's advocate okay. here. Does having... You know, you said that Sherilyn, there were times when she would be off her medicine. Yes. Is there any chance that might play into this witchy, not witchy, sorry. Oh, no, she, she um, claims to be a witch. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, um, with the spooky aspect of it. Oh, it would not surprise me at all. Interesting. It makes sense to me mm-hmm. that if she were suffering from maybe manic episodes or had been off her medication for a while that it would make sense that but i think it's interesting these things that are starting to happen that both of them are claiming this mm-hmm. yeah hmm. bobby what's interesting too is bobby asks the pastor if there's a special bullet that will get rid of ghost and i'm um, not really sure like a vampire mm. or a werewolf yeah yeah kind of bullet yeah i'm very confused by that I've never heard of a bullet getting rid of ghosts before. Hmm. I'm no expert. I'm no expert. I'm no paranormal expert. I I mean, I haven't heard that either. And I'm not an expert. Okay. Uh, Bobby confessed to his pastor that he had been referencing the Satanic Bible to try to get rid of them. Huh. Never once did I find anything that stated that Bobby himself suffered from a mental illness. But signs are starting to point that maybe he is starting to I'll get into it in a little bit well a and little if bit he later is that, taking some heavy medications for his back problems yes that's true as well I mean I'll uh, get into one of the theories later it's called the the uh madness of two mm-hmm. where one person could be severely mentally ill and the person that is with them that essentially takes care of them mm-hmm. can doctors believe or researchers believe that actually they can also start to exhibit those exact same signs as well but we'll get into that that's interesting all right so they've pulled madison out of school they've decided they want to live off the grid so on october 7th of 2009 the family intends to go and check out this 40 acre plot that they've located that's for sale in the Paloma Mountains. However, because this is literally out in the middle of the boonies. How did, how did they even hear about this place? They did reference a realtor. They did get in touch with a realtor to help them. And they're them. just like, hey, we want to live off grid. Find us this place. I, I guess so. 
Okay. I, I guess so. I didn't know how that works. So. I Me mean neither. <laughs> so they get so turned around because they're not familiar with the terrain. They're not familiar with this area at all. There's no road signs. All the roads are dirt. That they literally end up flagging down a passerby just to get directions to turn them back home. Oh. Huh. So on October 8th of 2009, the family has decided that they're going to go visit that 40-acre plot of land with the intention to purchase it and, quote, live off the grid. Okay. They contacted their realtor and told them, we have this shipping container, like a semi-truck tractor-trailer shipping container, and we are going to live inside that. Excuse me? (laughs) Okay. All right. That seems... Okay. (laughs) Uh, To each their own. Yes. It was said that the family just loved this idea and this thought of just living off the grid. This is very... This is like one of my kooky facts. As an Oklahoman, I feel like it's a lot of our goals in life to retire into a beautiful state lake home. Oh, Absolutely. Like my mom retired last year and my dad's about to retire at the beginning of June. And yeah, that was that's like their retirement goal right, is to right. live on a lake and somewhere. So the, this is the actual reality that the Jamesons lived. They lived in a lake house off of of all lakes in Oklahoma, Eufaula Lake. Which is the largest. Yes. Um, and they wanted to give it up for a metal shipping container. Interesting. I, I hmm. That's not me. Right. That's right. not me. That's and so I don't know how that would work out for you because all I think of there is no plumbing, there is no central heat and air, you and ha- I live in Oklahoma. Yeah, because we can have winters that where we have like blizzards where you know it snows twelve feet, right? And then we can have a blazing hot summer where with the heat index is up to one hundred and twenty. Exactly, exactly. So, whew, yeah. What a lot of there's a lot of speculation on why would they even decide this? And afterwards, it comes out that Sherilyn didn't get along with their neighbors. Okay. Um, she claimed that she just wanted to be left alone by everyone. So in in her mind, the way to do this was just to tell everybody she was a witch. All right. Well, I mean, we live in the Bible Belt. <laughs> right. Right. Um, then she started to spray paint weird messages on the shipping container. That they had planned to live on. And it would say, like, only God can save. And I know your secret. It was, like, like Google pictures of it. They're really creepy uh-huh. and cryptic. And I I don't know. Did they meet? Like, did she just did she say she just did it just to scare them? Or did it actually have I, I meaning? Know. I think it was 100% to annoy her neighbors. If that's the case, that's kind of funny. <laughs> right? And, like, I think a lot of the neighbors complained that that was an eyesore. And in my mind, when you're sitting here thinking, oh, they lived in a lake house off of Lake Eufaula, I bet there were some people that were pretty particular about oh, what their neighborhood there was. looked like. You know there was. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I enjoy that my neighborhood looks nice. Right. You know, if I had weird signs painted on a shipping container in my neighborhood that my children potentially went past, I might. Well, it just makes you wonder, like, what about, like, what about the neighbors bothered her? Right, right. None of the message really appear threatening in any way. It Uh was just, I think, kind of eyesore-ish. Okay. Uh, The realtor that they did work with had found this land for them and even offered to take them out there because I I don't know if they were familiar with it or they just like, oh, I know where this is. Uh Especially after they had discovered that the family had had difficulty the day before locating Uh it. So... Bobby and Sherilyn were very adamant that they did not want the help of the realtor. They just wanted the GPS coordinates. And so uh, the realtor handed him over. That's Um, interesting. Kind of odd. So while they did that, they also found different points of interest along the way to Uh stop. Like like at some sort of top of a peak or something or like a a hiking trail that they went on. Well, they did take their dog, right? Yes. Yes. So it was just, it's just real spooky when you can go back because the GPS had all the stored coordinates coordinates that they had visited. Yeah. And it's just really spooky because you can literally track them up until they're just 
disappearance. Vanish. Oh, that is creepy. On October 16th, so that was October 8th when they left to okay. go and find it. So the family packs up their car and they go and leave. Uh-huh. On October 16th, 2003, so what, roughly eight days later? Uh-huh. Hunters observe a random truck on the side of the road at this dead end. And it's a dirt road, so that's, that's kind of weird and odd. Yeah. They observed the truck there for several hours. Like, I don't know if they were hunting and they just, every time they'd come back, they'd be like, oh, that truck's still here. Oh, that uh-huh. truck's still here. Anyway, so they decided to go ahead and call it in. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how long it had. Been, well, they didn't know how long it had been sitting there. I don't know how long they observed it for, but there's just, just that. So many questions. Right, exactly. And the hunters approached the truck and noticed that it had been there for a while. You know, it had rained, and you could tell that it had been rained on. Uh-huh. And of course, like dust and had right. built up on it a little bit. So once they start approaching the car, they notice something inside. It's the family dog. Remember I told you that they took it? Yeah. Almost completely starved to death. Oh, my gosh. It had been eating its own feces and some <gasps> snacks that had pot- that had been left in the car. Aww. And um, so authorities arrive at the truck. Um, the doors are locked. So they bust the window in and rescue the dog. And spoiler alert, the dog... Ends up surviving and living out the rest of its life perfectly healthy and happy. Well, that's good at least. All right. So don't turn us off just yet. But what's crazy, what's kooky in our words, is what they find inside. Okay. Not a body. Not anyone's body. Mm -hmm. But they find some extremely important items. Bobby and Sherilyn's IDs, both of their wallets, everyone's coats, all their cell phones, the GPS, and $32,000 in cash. Ooh, interesting. The large amount of money was very unusual to the family members. They were like, oh, they were kind of having some financial troubles. Why did they get all this cash right. They, um, you know, they had been expressing to others that, you know, bills were too high, and if they just moved off the grid, they could just, you know, do their own thing. But what's even more bizarre, I don't know how much more bizarre you can get than $32,000 in, like, cash. Right. They found an 11-page hate letter written by Sherilyn to Bobby. I wonder how long that's been there. There's no idea. And we'll get more into that later. Um, it's not dated. I'll Interesting. At this point, authorities instantly believe that the family has to be lost in the wooded area somewhere. Uh-huh. So they quickly start looking through the triple canopy bush, that's what they called it. However, it had rained the last few days, so any evidence of any footprints or trails, they were all washed away. It's just weird that they left their dog, that they left all of their, like, devices. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. just weird. I mean, because at that point, when when authorities get there, it is assumed that they're lost because leaving all of that stuff would indicate... To most that they're going to return. Well, I mean, I don't see them leaving $32,000 just or a lying around if they were going to. Yeah, exactly. So in their brief search, they weren't able to do a lot of searching at that point. But the terrain is extremely treacherous. And so they really just needed to regroup and call in some more reinforcements. Authorities did start canvassing the place, looking around, asking for tips or clues from anybody on the mountain, their friends, their families. When was the last time you saw them? Had anybody seen them? The family hadn't even reported a missing. They didn't even know that they were missing or gone. Was this normal for them? Yes, this was very normal for them. It was common. The family said it was very common for them to go in upwards of a month without having any contact from them. It was also common for them to just decide one day. It was like, oh, I think we're going to drive to Dallas. Or, oh, we're going to drive to Kansas City. They seemed to be very secretive. They also had, like I said before, those several U.S. timeshares. And so they were known to just travel whenever, whatever. And so nobody knew that they were even missing. Uh, Police did get in contact with that helper that they had flagged down the day before. You remember? Yeah. He was cooperative with police telling him that he did indeed assist the family in finding their way back to the right road. He said the family seemed absolutely fine. They were in great spirits. They even asked a lot of questions about what it would take to build on the mountain Uh because that passerby actually lived on the mountain as well. Okay. So there was no reason to believe anything foul at this point. Okay. Police 
ended up getting the GPS on and following the coordinates to the top of a mountain where they did happen to find shoe prints there, one of them being child size. Mm. So here it's, you know, proof that they had been there. Right. At the same time that this is happening, or meanwhile, they had powered on the cell phones. I don't know, maybe back in the, they probably, I mean, I bet they, they were dead at that point, but they powered on the cell phones. And this is very spooky. The very last picture on, that was taken on Bobby's cell phone was of Madison. And it confirms that they were in this place because the picture shows Madison on like a rock with these tree formation behind her or something. She appears very strange to family members. And again, that's something else that we'll get into. Uh, okay, because I was like, what do you mean by strange? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just let's just get into it now. Uh, the family raised some concerns over it because she looks very uncomfortable in the picture. She's not looking at the camera. Her smile was off, you know. But here, I'm going to play devil's advocate for you. Okay. She was six. I have a six-year-old. I have a six-year-old niece. Or Yes. Yeah. She's six. <laughs> like, yeah, she's six. Anna's six. Sorry, Anna. <laughs> Auntie loves you. Um, they're, they're, they're goofballs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they, they could be having the time of their life. You're like, take a, I'm going to take a picture, and then they're going to act like they're being tortured. Oh, yeah. I mean. And so I'm, I'm just, in my mind, I'm like, you can't really base that Right. I mean, you can you can say it, you can write it down, you can note it, but it's not like a nail in a coffin. Well, I mean, the, she could she could have been pouting. Oh, for sure. She could have. I mean, who knows if the dog if was that, with them at that point? Uh, yeah, if or, the dog was with them or not, or if she was upset because they left him behind yes. or her behind, or maybe she knew what was about to go down and she was upset. Right. Or maybe she was just being a little toot and. Yeah, I mean, there's so many factors that we just didn't don't want to know smile for the camera. You know? Right. Yeah, because they do that. So, yeah, they do. Police really do believe that the family has is just lost somewhere uh-huh. on the mountain. Um, from the appearance of their belongings still being in the truck, it is assumed that they intend to return to it because the truck door was locked. And that is usually an indication that people intend to come back. Right. All of, you know, their worldly belongings really were in that truck. Right. The dog was in the truck. Right. They were coming back. They were coming back. That's what it sounds like. Right. So October 17th, 2009 dawns, and one of the largest, if not the largest, search party efforts in Oklahoma history is organized. There are 300 plus people involved in this. Media coverage is, that's all there is on Oklahoma City and Tulsa News. It's just, it's really a task. It's a very big task that they're undertaking. The terrain is treacherous. There's cliffs. There's pits. There's lots of brush and growth. I mean, it's Mm mid-October. There's still lots of stuff out there. It's not like if this would have been the middle of January and there's nothing there. Right. Well, and it's starting to get cold probably. Right. And and like a a whole family is literally missing. Right. And you know they don't have coats because their coats were left in the car. Right. So this just had to be a nightmare. For these oh, I, volunteers. I can't even imagine. OSBI was involved. The FBI was involved. Local law enforcement searched the area along with local citizens. Did they have like um, dogs? They had dogs, Search planes, dogs. drones, all of that. What's very kooky is that if you look, if you do some research into this case, many sources at the time point to similarities between the California family and McStay family and the Michigan and I'm going to butcher this name I'm just, I'm just going to apologize right now Serge Liano family they all happened to disappear in relatively close proximity to one another that Michigan family disappeared on actually October 16th of 2009 mm. so a week after the Jamesons had um, they were found safe on October thir- 23rd though mm-hmm and the father had just kind of been paranoid and had maybe a mental break and decided uh, to take the family and go somewhere. But they didn't tell anybody and it got worried. And it was worried. I don't think I've heard of those other two I families. hadn't heard of either one of them, actually. Um, the McStays disappeared in February of 2010. Um, I think where people like to draw the connection is that they both disappeared in very similar manners. Okay. So I don't know why that they're instantly drawn together since they were – 
roughly, you know, four or five months apart from each other. Right. And then, like, not even the same area. Right. But um, I would like state. to say that the McStay's disappearance didn't end well either. Oh, no. The culprit who actually kidnapped them was apprehended and charged and found guilty of kidnapping and murder. Oh. So, and it was a family of four or five as oh, well. Oh, that's awful. Meanwhile, let's go back to all those items that were left in the truck. Okay. They're now starting to be analyzed by investigators. Bobby's phone shows missed calls to his voicemail. Several of them. Missed calls to his voicemail. Right. Like someone had made these phone calls to his voicemail and then like hung up. Interesting. It was speculated that maybe the dog had been walking across his phone. Okay. And maybe accidentally dialing it. Uh, But... I think the chances of that happening numerous amounts of times may have been pretty slim. Well, in the same number. Right. Every right, time. Right. Um, it was very perplexing to authorities. They didn't know what this meant. Yeah. That's odd. Another big question that they had is what is up with this $32,000 in a bank bag under the seat of the truck? That's what I want to know. Right. Where did it come from? Nobody in the family. Like, why knew- did they have it? Yeah, Just, none of the family knew that they if they had had like a big settlement, if they had won the lottery, nothing. Nobody knew anything like that. Sheriff Beecham, he was the original sheriff on the case, believed the family met or saw someone they knew and had to get out of the truck and leave. Like maybe they saw some friends like, hey, let's get, you know. Here's his reasoning behind that because that doesn't exactly mesh with what original th- authorities thought them being lost. Okay. He reasoned that from the GPS, from their previous walks around or on the mountain, Uh their phones, they had pictures on their phones. They had this GPS. So they should at this point have been somewhat familiar with the area. Right. If they had spent the whole day there. And then they got back into the car. What happened then? Like, why would they leave all this stuff if they wanted to go and explore again? Right. If they had taken it previously. Right. Some weird things that just don't connect. I mean, there's probably a laundry list of weird things that don't connect. Don't get me wrong. I was going to (laughs) say. Madison and Maisie, that's the little girl and her dog. They were like the bestest of friends. Yeah. Like everyone said. The family believed that Madison would have seriously been distraught and upset if she knew she was going to have to leave her dog behind. I can imagine. Hence the picture. Was the picture. But in my mind, I was like, the picture was on the cell phone. How did she know she was going to leave the dog behind and the cell phone got left behind with the dog? Right. Because if it were me, I would have tried to fight, kick, and scream to get that dog to come with me. Right. So, I don't know. There was also no disturbance of the area surrounding the truck. None, there were no tracks on the ground. There was nothing in the truck to, to showcase that they had been in distress but- and the terrain. But would they even know anyway because it had rained? Right. And I think with maybe the rain... I think they had thought that it would just wash away footprints. But if there would have been a struggle, would the grass have been flattened or bent in an awkward manner? I don't know. Yeah. You know, you have to play I both mean, that's ways, true. Right? You yeah. know, I didn't think about that. But yeah. Most people believe that the Jameson were the type of people who would put up a fight if they were threatened. I mean, hello. Think about what she... I mean, she was just spray, spray painting messages to her neighbors yeah witchy witchy words so police spoke with um a man who lived on the mountain and because they discovered that there was really only one way up the mountain and one way down the mountain and the road ended up passing by his house okay he claimed that there was no one who went up after the family he did admit that he did see the family or at least the family's truck go up the mountain okay and i know when many of our listeners live in very remote areas mm-hmm. and when if you live in a very remote area definitely you are going to know when people drive down your street especially right. if your street does not get traffic at all right. maybe a car or two and one of them is right. yours yeah so could he have missed somebody of course he could you can't tell me that he didn't use the bathroom in that entire day. Yeah. That he didn't go fix himself to eat or get on the phone or, you know, go do something. Right. But in his defense, he lives in such a remote place that traffic would be odd. True. Scent dogs were deployed. 
they hit on a plateau where Madison's picture was believed to have been taken. And so that, again, just another another piece of evidence that... That they were know, there. Yeah, it collaborated that they were there at that point. However, it also hit on a water tower in the area. Authorities drained the tower, thinking that they were probably, possibly going to find bodies oh, wow. inside. Interesting. There was water nothing. tower. There was nothing found inside. Uh, that's just like creepy that right. that they would be drawn to that, but then nothing. Right. No, I agree. Nothing there. Ugh. The authorities started this to search the family's home now. They drove into Eufaula, started searching the home. Maybe there were some clues that were going to be there. They were ecstatic when they found out there were surveillance cameras and the footage could be retrieved. But what they found was very baffling. And and you think like every time you get a new piece of evidence, you're like, oh, this is going to be it. Uh-huh. And it literally only adds more questions. To oh, how frustrating for the, the so investigators. So they watch the surveillance from the day of the 8th. You can see the couple packing a car for their trip to the mountain. But family and even police say that they're almost walking in like a zombie-like trance. That their gates were off. And then what was even more peculiar is they would take like one teeny tiny thing, mm-hmm. go and put it in the truck, then walk back, come and bring another teeny tiny little thing, put it in the truck, and then take the first item back into the house. Weird. Like the things were so small that you could, they probably could have made maybe one or two trips to take everything. Right. That's very odd. Um, then there comes a point where they would pack something and then it was like they would stare off into the horizon were they on something at the time they don't know oddly enough many people believe and i probably and you can watch the videos online and i did watch them uh-huh they they are very spooky i'm going to mm. tell you that but in one of the frames a man approaches in a brown jacket okay Bobby never had a brown jacket on. Uh-huh. In fact, the man's shirt is also a different color than what Bobby had had on. And you can't see where he came from. He's not even the same height as Bobby. Mm-hmm. And his walk is different. So somebody else was there. And they don't know who that they is? They have no idea who it is. All right. Sherilyn was also known by everyone that she carried this 22 caliber handgun with her everywhere she went. It was always in her car. She always took it for protection. It was missing. It was not in the truck. It was not in the house. In the video, she's seen carrying a tan briefcase to the truck and packing it. This briefcase was also never recovered. Oh, interesting. Remember that hate letter I talked about earlier? Yeah. Sherilyn, the 11 page hate yeah, letter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of hate. I was gonna. Yeah. <laughs> Sherilyn had tons of journals at home, and I imagine that this was a way for her to deal with her mental illnesses, mm-hmm. um, which is a great way, I think, for all of us to deal with things. Yeah, even I, mean, if we I know don't a have. lot of people who write in like a journal. Yes, or... I think it's just good to get your thoughts out sometimes. Mm-hmm. So she had several of those and they found her current journal and her last entry was three days prior to their disappearance where she talked about how much she loved Bobby and how much of a genius he was. But looking back through several of the journals, there Mm -hmm. were also entries of how Bobby was toxic. He was a monster. She wanted a divorce. They had financial struggles. Uh, But there were just as many entries that said how much she loved him and adored him. So maybe a normal relationship because you're going to have those entries where you're very angry at your spouse. Yeah. Followed by entries of how much you love them. I don't True, know. That's how but I also helps. think with someone that doesn't, isn't consistently on their, their medication, like they should be. Right. That could play a role into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think too, that this definitely shows her signs of depression possibly manic times well and if she's so up and down there's a possibility she could have been bipolar right i mean i don't know if she was oh, or not yeah but no and I we mean, are not psychiatrists no, by any means no so. but like it's just like the ups and downs oh exactly yeah 
Most of their family and friends stated that Sherilyn loved Bobby so much and would never hurt him, she would especially never have hurt Madison. The note and some journal writings pointed to Sherilyn possibly being off her medication at the time, which, like I said before, the family had said happened often. Yeah. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, the hate letter was never dated. So we don't know if she wrote him that hate letter five years prior right. and he just stuffed it in or six months prior or two, two hours days ago. prior. Yeah. Right, exactly. So there's no telling. They did a 10 square mile search of this mountain with not one clue found. That's just crazy. All theories that the police were coming up with could literally all be possible. All of them could have happened. Even with all of the evidence, it it didn't point to any one theory having uh-huh. more, you know, having more credence over another. Right. Uh, could they have both suffered from mental breakdowns? I mean, I guess it's possible. Or, you know, was one of them so paranoid about something that it caused the other one to start to suffer too? That is where I talked about that madness of two disorder. Uh-huh. I had heard that on... Um, that documentary that was on by Danielle on um, what is it, YouTube? Yeah. And so I had kind of briefly heard of that disorder before, probably in one of my psychology classes or something, uh-huh. but I had never, I've never done like a dive into it. Right. And so it's something that maybe in like a future episode or a Patreon episode, oh, we could cover. Yeah. Sheriff Bochamp stated that his investigation did not point to the couple being in trouble or looking to start a new fight. There were no active warrants for Sherilyn or Bobby. They had no run-ins with the law. Family and friends had no idea where the money came from. You know, like I said, they weren't aware of like a lottery winning or a settlement. Right. In a normal investigation, this is what the sheriff had said, when you go through everything one by one, theories can start to be eliminated. Not with this one. It seemed like every time they found something new, it would either create a new theory or just collaborate a current theory. Oh, how frustrating for them. So obviously this case went cold, lickety-split fast. Right. It was pretty much concluded that the family was still alive and had just left to start over. They had just staged their disappearance. I don't... I just... It's hard to believe that they would just do that and not, like, take their dog. Right. At least. So, you know, the family was touted as being scammers. Maybe that they lived in fear of Bobby Sr. and possibly even Starlet. There were rumors that they had a history with meth. This was never, I'm going to tell you right now, the meth was never proved. Mm -hmm. They never found any drug paraphernalia in the house or in the car. And if they're cooking meth, where are they cooking it at? Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like they're just grasping at straws for anything. Right. Exactly. And so by all accounts, they literally, people would say, oh, they're just off in Mexico now. Um, one of a big theory that we have is that they went into the witness protection program. Uh-huh. And we'll get into that later. So years pass. Years pass. Right. And on November 16th of 2013, two hunters are out scouting deer trails. Deer season is about to open. Right. And a whole family is out there, but a man and his nephew are out looking for deer paths. Uh-huh. And um, they're in this thick wooded area, and they literally stumble upon partial skeletal remains oh i I mean obviously at first they thought they were animal right and then um when the man kind of bent down he noticed that that's not an animal bone that's a skull that's a human oh man crazy gross so he immediately contacts authorities they of course instantly converge on the scene the location where the bones were found was less than three miles away from where the truck had been located That kind of gave me chills. That's so creepy. At this point, when they discover these bones, all of a sudden they start to discover shoes, bits of clothing, adult teeth, an adult arm, leg bones, and other bone fragments. That's so crazy. How? How? Especially with as thorough as they were with searching. I mean, they had send dogs. They had... Like, massive amount of volunteers. Like, it doesn't add up at at all. all. Dr. Joshua Lanter, who at the time, I don't know if he still is, but at the time, he was the state medical examiner. He could not determine a cause of death because, well, first and foremost, the remains are not complete. Right. And there's several reasons why that could be. Right. He did say that what he does have or what he did have, Mm -hmm. there was no evidence of trauma. 
It couldn't be ruled out though. Disease couldn't be ruled out. Hypothermia couldn't have been ruled ruled out. Uh, There was a lot, he believed, post-mortem damage, but it is suspected that that was caused by animals. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what the evidence kind of indicated, which would make sense. Probably also why the bones could have potentially not been um, complete because mm-hmm. animals are going to animal, you know, and take things with them. Right. The deaths were reported as suspicious on the death certificates. Were they? they but they were all found together, right? Yes. Yes. Or at least there were three different sets of bones found. Together. So again, that briefcase... And Sherilyn's handgun were not recovered. So what do you think happened? What do you think happened? No idea. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> With our special guest. <laughs> With our special guest, yes. We will get into all the theories next week. That'll be interesting. Um, wow. It's just such a crazy kooky right. case. Some of them being, were the, are those bones really theirs? All right. There's lots of theories, lots of theories, lots of rumors, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I can't wait to talk to Ava about it. Yeah. See what her thoughts are. Ava is actually, um, she's a junior at her school, but she actually is founder and president of the school's conspiracy theorist club. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. So this is right up her alley. Right. It is. It really is. So we're... We are glad that she is willing to chat with us. Yeah, she's pretty excited. Yes. So, So, yeah. Um, If you are excited about next week, make sure that you are following us on our social medias at Curious Cousins OK on Instagram and at Curious Cousins Podcast on Facebook. We are up to 392 followers on Facebook. Eight more and we're going to do a drawing. Everybody wants my favorite Jeff Provine book, right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Also, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe to us on your favorite uh, podcasting platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all the things. Right. We would really love if you would leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, listener tales, uh, if you just want to say hey, if you have any show requests, please, please, please feel free to reach us at Curious Cousins. Okay at gmail.com. We would love to hear from oh, you. Oh, absolutely. And we just want to, again, tell all of our listeners how much we love them because we've just been growing and you guys have, we have some growing pains and we just appreciate your patience yes. and your love. Um, well, and on another note, we should have, we, we should have mentioned this earlier, but um, you can check Tiff and I out on the Sirens podcast. Yes. That we recently were, released. We did a, our first collab. And uh, with Raven Rollins. And yes. It was so much fun. Is it Rollins or Rollins? Rollins? I say Rollins. Oh okay. my gosh. We better find. We can't claim to be her BFF and say her last name wrong. (laughs) But, um, yeah, y'all should definitely check that out. We talk about witchcraft trials. That's right. Among other things. Right. Yes. And uh, in Oklahoma. It is. It is Oklahoma. And um, she is a local Oklahoma podcaster, too. Yes. And so she's just really great. Check out their podcast as well as we actually just recorded another collab with them. We did. This last weekend. So you'll be hearing us on their show again yeah so check them out yes please do and just tell them what to keep it keep it kooky and spooky bye